I want you to notice the flowers that are just to my right. Um, these flowers are magnificent. Uh, they are, they're given to help celebrate and recognize the, the 57th anniversary of IPC. And so I want to take a moment and just thank the Lord for 57 years of uh, faithfulness for the congregation, a faithfulness that this has been a place where people knew as they walked into the doors, this was a place that unapologetically preached the Bible and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a place where we have longed to exalt Jesus as Savior as well as the light of the gospel. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for uh, the past 57 years of this church. And Lord, as we say anything uh, concerning this church, um, the accolades, if that's the right, even the right way to say that, really come because of your fingertips being upon uh, this congregation. Father, you have poured out blessing upon blessing uh, upon this congregation. And Father, we are thankful that through the years that this has been a pulpit that has unapologetically preached the gospel as the word of God. That this has been a place where people could walk into this, this room and they, they knew from the outset that we believed in the infallibility and the inerrancy of scripture, that all scripture is God-breathed. And that, Father, they knew that this was a place where they could gain their honest answers to their honest questions. So, Father, as we pray tonight and celebrate 57 years of faithfulness, Lord, we're really celebrating your faithfulness to us and how you have um, moved among us in this place how you have taught us, enabled us, and equipped us unto all that you have for us, uh, not only in this life, but for all eternity. You are a good and gracious Father, and you know how to give great gifts to your children. And Lord, this congregation has been a gift to all of us. And for that, we honor you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Tonight we're going to be looking at uh, this passage that deals with the Christian family. But um, before I do, you'll, I'm going to read something out of another section of Colossians that is with reference to the introduction, so I don't want you to be confused by that. But by, by way of introduction, I'm going to call attention to what's going on in, in society at this very moment. Dear friends, it was just a, just a month ago that the Russians came across the border and they came across that Ukrainian border in a very intentional and aggressive fashion. And do you remember the, the initial moments of the conflict? Uh, the Russian soldiers were in their green uniforms and the men were with their equipment. And, and all of us, as we tuned in to CNN or Fox or some other news station, we wondered what the Z meant. What does the Z mean? What is the meaning of the letter Z? Because the, the letter Z had become a, a sign and symbol of the Russian aggression. 
And so, interesting enough, the, uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense has an Instagram account. Did you know that? And, uh, and they published on their Instagram account that the letter Z stands for victory. It means we finish everything we start and we're going to finish this war. That's what the letter Z means. You see, the Z was a symbol, as a symbol, was intended to be an outward sign and symbol concerning their intentions and their aggressiveness towards Ukraine. That letter Z was a sign and symbol to the watching world that they were going to take over all of that Ukrainian territory. But in all actuality, as we continue to watch the news every single day, uh, the letter C is really not an outward sign and symbol of Russian aggression. Because for all practical purposes, it's beginning to wane in these moments. The morale of the Russian troops is beginning to, to ebb. The show of force is beginning to be, become exhausted. And the significance and meaning of the letter Z is in these very moments actually beginning to be defeated. The letter Z was a sign and symbol of what the Russian armies were supposed to be and do, yet now we're seeing that indeed it's not true. But that got me thinking earlier this week as I was preparing for tonight, what is the sign and symbol for the Christian? If the Russian troop has Z embroidered upon his body armor, what is the sign that we have embroidered upon our hearts that we are actually in relationship with Jesus Christ? And we studied this passage just a few weeks ago, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. I think this passage or these scriptures are indicative of, 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 of the sign and seal of what it means to be a believer Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgive the other as the Lord has forgiven you. And so you must also forgive. And then Paul continues, and above everything, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Brothers and sisters, we're called as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We are called, we are equipped, and we are enabled to put on love which actually binds everything together in perfect harmony. The Russian troops put on a Z, indicating that, it was, that, that, that they would ultimately win the day. And it appears that they're not living up to that letter in these moments. The letter for the Christian, the sign and symbol for the Christian is love. And Dear friends, I'm not speaking legalistically here. I'm speaking in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But here's the question that I have for you. 
as soldiers of Christ, is Christ, you know, if Christian love is the mark, if it's the sign and the symbol of Christian belief, how is Jesus being manifested in our lives? How is Jesus being manifested in your life? How is Jesus being manifested in your love for others? When the outside world looks into the life of independent, what does the outside world see? Do they see love, kindness, sincerity, compassion? When when our family members look at us, what do they see and what do they experience? Are we loving others in the way that Jesus has called us to love one another? Or as John 13, 35 says, and this is the amplified version, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another. You see, that's the mark of the believer. Love and unselfish concern. And I want us to realize that everything that Paul has written in the book of Colossians, he has written for the purpose of applying these truths to our hearts tonight. And in this passage that I'm about to read to you, Paul is informing us and reminding us of the necessity of mature and relational love in all of our relationships in the context of the Christian family, but mature and relational love in all of our relationships in the church and outside of the church as well. Our Christian love for the members of our Christian family and our Christian community is actually a sign and symbol that Jesus is in us and we are in Jesus. So in light of these truths, let me go to Colossians 3, 18 through 21. And this is the passage dealing with the Christian family. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit to teach us, enable us, equip us, show us. Lord, we, we need your sovereign grace to be poured into your lives. Father, we need your truth more than we need our thoughts on a situation. And so, Father, would you take these scriptures tonight and would you allow us to press our hearts and our minds through your truth? For, Lord, we want your wisdom more than we want our own. Would you be with us in these moments? In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's go back now to verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It was several years ago. Um, I've been with you now for about 25 years. And in, but before we came back to Memphis, uh, Sally and I lived in Jackson, Mississippi. And, 
and, and a friend of, I, of mine, we were running a conference on the Christian family for all the PCA churches in Jackson, Mississippi. And um, there was a TV station that wanted to advertise the, the conference. And so as Lee Pierce and I drove down to the TV station so we could advertise the conscience of the conference, Lee said, now remember, we're not saying anything today about wives submit. This is a very short announcement. Ed, don't go there. And I went, Lee, I've already thought about it. You know, why, why is that so? Because after all, for many in our church and in the world, this topic is very controversial in nature. And so tonight, as we look at this topic of wives submit to your husbands, what does Paul mean by this? This word submit means this. It's a military word where, which means to rank under. The word denotes uh, an obedience that a citizen would have um, concerning his government. And, and how does our culture react to the concept of a wife's submission to her husband? Have you asked that question? Our culture rejects the idea as archaic, outdated, and old-fashioned. And many in our, in our culture react in anger and hostility against the Word of God, and they react in anger and hostility to those who preach the Word of God, in particularly this verse, in an undiluted fashion. But the question I have for you is this, is our culture accurate in that assessment? And I would say the answer to that is no. The problem does not lie in what God has said. The problem lies in our understanding of what God has said or in our rebellion to what God has said. Dear friends, we have a Father in heaven who has given us his wisdom on, his, on this issue. So let's take a few moments and let's see what the Lord has to say about wives being submissive to their husbands. So this word submit, um, it does not mean these things. Uh, a wife is not to submit if she's in a, if it's a dictatorial subjection. A, a wife is not to submit herself to a tyrant. A wife is not to submit herself to a beast. A wife is not to submit herself if she's the footstool for her husband, or if she has to serve her husband absolutely without restraint. The wife is not to be treated as inferior to the husband. That's not what the Lord is speaking of when he uses this word submit. I found John Piper to be very, very helpful on this subject. And, and John Piper says this, uh, it's a willing submission is to to recognize and to honor the greater responsibility of her husband to supply her protection and sustenance. It's a willingness to yield to his authority in Christ and to be inclined to follow his leadership. I love those words. It's the greater responsibility of the husband to supply protection and sustenance. You see, there are roles within the Christian family. 
as the, as the husband is the head of the home, the wife is the heart of the home. Tim and Kathy Keller, in an interview on Focus on the Family, had this to say um, as part of a wife's submissiveness. They said this, uh, part of her submissiveness is the woman bringing to the table her strength. A wife should be bringing her strength into the marriage, her giftedness. This is part of her submission. Her giftedness, her insight, her wisdom, her holiness, her righteousness. I remember the time when Sally and I had just been married for a couple of years and I was beginning to recognize that there was this spiritual intuition that she had on issues that I really needed to lean into and to trust. And I remember thinking along those lines and really beginning to trust her in, in that area. You see, it, it is the husband's duty and honor to encourage and to facilitate his wife's submission. It's also his duty and his honor to, f- to fulfill his role in marriage. And how does Jesus define these roles? How did Jesus say this in Ephesians chapter 5? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus loved the church. Jesus sacrificed for the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. And husbands, we'll get to this in just a few moments, but but our our love for our wife is to be a love where we are willing to give ourselves unto her, to love her, to to be a servant with her, to comfort her, to lead her. And when these two concepts go together of submission and leadership in the way that God has so designed it, it becomes like an engine that is in sync, each part one with the other. The Kellers, uh, Tim and Kathy, made it clear that being submissive does not mean that a wife can't push back or at times, if need be, to confront her spouse. There have been times that my sweet wife has confronted me on issues and it has been for the good of the discussion so that we could actually come to a godly conclusion. Kathy Keller uh, tells of the time in which they, were, they had been in New York City for about the last four years, and, and Tim's life was out of sync. He was constantly working. He did not have time for his wife. He did not have time for the children. He did not have time for extra pursuits. And time after time after time, Kathy would say, Tim, we've got to talk about this. We, Tim, we've got to talk about this. And Tim only gave a deaf ear. So Kathy talks about that she decided to take things into her own hands. And she knew that he would become walking into the door at 5 o'clock. She got the wedding china out of the cabinet. She went out to the balcony. She got a hammer. And as he walked in the door, she started breaking the plates apart, crashing the plates with the hammer. And she said, 
Kathy, what are you doing? And she said, this is what you're doing to our marriage. This is what you're doing to our children. And it got his attention. You see, part of that submissiveness is that mutuality. Part of that submissiveness is the willingness to recognize the strengths of the spouse. Part of that submissiveness is that open, honest uh, communication. And part of that submissiveness is, as Kathy has put it, sometimes you need to have a godly tantrum. Because sometimes people need to be shaken back into reality. You see, for Kathy said this, my action was not an act of rebellion. It was an act of endeavoring to get my husband's attention, the one that I love and cherish. I needed to get his attention. I needed him to hear me on this subject. So what does our Father in heaven intend with the word submit? It's the concept that these are the ways that a wife and a husband are to love and relate to one another. This is called real life. The husband is the head, undoubtedly. And thankfully, the, 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 excuse me, the wife is the heart of the family. There's the role of a husband. There's the role of the wife. And the ecosystem of the Christian family is an ecosystem where there's a godly love and a holy cherishing. There's a, there's an, a godly order that, that the Lord has put in place and that this order is characterized not only by cooperation but by partnership and relationship and humility. It is also characterized, as it says in Ephesians 5.21, by a mutual submissiveness one to the other. And all of that is true at the same time. Eugene Peterson says of uh, Colossians 3.18, Wives, be subject to your husbands. And here's how he has defined that. Out of respect for their position as your protector, and out of the respect of their accountability to their Father in heaven. I love that. Out of respect for their position as a protector and, and because of their accountability to God in heaven. You see, this is what that word submit means. But I want you to notice also, as the verse continues, notice the next little phrase as is fitting, and then the phrase attached to it, in the Lord. I found that fascinating uh, as I was digging into this this past week. Submission is not only the right thing to do, it's the righteous thing to do, it's the holy thing to do. It is the thing to do that we do because God has designed it to be done this way. It's fitting, it's right, it's not archaic. It's not an antique methodology. It's not something from the 1950s. This is not leave it to beaver. This is God's wisdom. 
for the sake of order and structure and dignity and love within the context of the Christian family. Submission is the work of God in the spiritual life of the wife for the good of the marriage that leads to oneness in the marriage. And as submission is the work of God in the spiritual life of the wife, so leadership is the work of God in the spiritual life of the husband for the good of, for the, good of the marriage leading to the oneness and love in that marriage. You see, it is fitting and it is not only fitting, but it is to be done in the Lord. And so what does that little phrase mean? That the wife is surrendering, surrendering her life in such a way to live her life in the Lord. To live her life being filled with the Holy Spirit. To live her life with her, her, her eyes so much falling upon Scripture. So much soaking in the Word of God in His wisdom. The wife is living her life in such a way that she wants to live her life in the Lord. She wants to live her life in the Gospel. She wants to live her life in union with Christ. She wants to live her life in the power and the presence of the Lord, not only in her life, but also in her marriage with her husband and in her relationships with her children. And I love this last one. She longs to be submissive in relationship to her husband for she longs for the will of God in her life. Ladies, submission is a gift. It's an absolute gift that the Lord has given it's fitting, it's right, it's proper. And ladies, when, as you walk in, uh, in the Lord, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, as you walk in relationship with Jesus, as you long to see the gospel permeate to the crevices of your life, I believe that you'll see that submission is not only the order of the day, but it's the joy of your life. But let's go to the next phrase, shall we? Notice verse 19. And I, I want to I ask the question, why would a woman ever want to be submissive? And the answer to that is found in this verse, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I want, you to, I want you to understand and, and grapple with this, that this command destroys all opposition and reaction to the command of subjection given to our wives. This word love, it means it's agape, is the Greek word. And you've heard a thousand sermons on this, so I'm not going to give you a, 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 an, extend, an, an extended explanation of this other than to say agape means unconditional and enduring love. 
I did not hear Paige this past weekend, but Sally came home telling me every word, every other word that Paige said. She had trouble keep, keeping notes because Paige talked so fast. But she talked about uh, my words, the unconditional, enduring love of the Father for us. You see, that's the love that the Father has for us. And, and as the Father pours His love into our lives, and as this divine love in our lives goes radioactive because in our lives because we recognize it's all of his sovereign grace men it is at that point that we if we really begin to understand that and get that it is at that point that we want to begin to love our our wives in that form and fashion Again, I don't want to speak legalistically, nor do I want to speak hyperbolically. No, yes, we don't do this perfectly, but can't we do this powerfully? Can't we begin to love our wives with a divine love? Can't we begin to love brothers and sisters in Christ with a divine love? Should we not love a lost and dying world with a divine love? And husbands, we're called to love our wives in this form and fashion. So what does that mean? It, it's, it's a love that is selfless. It's unselfish. Do you want to have kindness in your life? Have a love that is selfless and unselfish. It's a love that is giving. It's, it's a love that is sacrificial. It's a love of the will as well as the heart. It's a love of, of an affection as well as an endearment. It's a love that works for the highest good of the wife. It's a love that seeks to meet, nurture, and nourish the needs of the wife. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way, you husbands, love your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean, understanding way? With gentleness and tact. And with an intelligent understanding of what the marriage relationship is all about. Dear friends, Again, I want us to come to the understanding that as the husband is the head of the home, the wife is the heart of the home. And what is the look and feel of this relationship when these two things begin to come together? Certainly leadership, as the husband leads the wife. Certainly followership, as the wife follows the husband. But also, as I've already indicated, Ephesians 5.21, that we ought to submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Colossians 3, certainly putting on the clothing of holiness, those things that we read just a few moment ago, moment ago, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, put on love which binds everything together. You see, when we, when we think about submission and headship, when we think about leadership and followership, we have to look at all of this in the ecosystem, not only of the Christian family, but we have, we have to look at it in the ecosystem of our theology 
And then we have to see how all of this comes together. Because if we don't do it that way, that leads to legalism. And it can lead to a hard-heartedness when it comes to male leadership. What was said uh, in Philippians chapter 2? Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. We're we're being called to be like-minded to Jesus. Having the same love, being united in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let me close by saying this. And if you've been part of my community, you've heard elements of this in times past. My biological family was not aristocratic. They were relatively wealthy, but not aristocratic. Mom was born in... Chiral, South Carolina, my dad in Conway, South Carolina. Just prior to the war, dad was at Clemson, my mother was at Queens in Charlotte. They met, um, and dad would go to war. He fought in both the Pacific theaters as well as the European theater. Um, Dad would not be home for a period of three years because of his time at war. And during his time at war, not only did he encounter everything that came with World War II, but he lost his twin younger brothers, James and Edward. And when Dad came home from the war, uh, he set out to to find himself. And he set out to establish himself in a career of civil engineering. And I've shared with some of you in times past that Um, my dad suffered from chronic depression. And we moved 13 times before I ever graduated from high school. And we were constantly on the move because of my dad's ongoing depression. But our home was a difficult home. Uh, Anger and discouragement Uh, was the order of the day. And back in in the 1950s and 60s, before the word divorce was ever used very much, that that was the word that was often thrown around in my family. And I remember being a junior high kid um, uh, in a little town in in the coal fields of Virginia. And it was a Friday night, and and I was on my bed, and and I said... Whatever this is, I don't want any of it. None of it. Because I was exhausted. I went to a military high school my last two years just to get out of it. 
During my senior year in high school, the effectual call of God, the Holy Spirit began wooing me. I went to the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. The Holy Spirit continued to woo me. Long story short, I went to Mississippi State and I walked into the chapel at Mississippi State and I heard biblical preaching like you get from this pulpit every single week. And, and Nicodemus, and what does it mean to be born again? And by God's kindness, sovereign grace just flooded into my life and the effectual call of God became right and true and I understood it for what it was. And I came to faith that night. The amazing thing is that my mom and dad in a trailer in Coburn, Virginia, came to faith that very month. And my dad never suffered depression again. And mom and dad, for the balance of that time, about 10 or 15 years before dad would go to heaven, that was the only time in their marriage they were happy because the gospel took root. But you see, I thought the gospel was all about just Jesus taking away my sins. Jimmy Turner began to disciple us on Wednesday evenings. We'd go to his house, Ellen would cook, and we'd sit at his feet for three hours and he taught us the gospel of John. And there was a conference, not a conference, um, there was a meeting, well, there was a conference in, uh, at First Presbyterian Church, Cleveland, Mississippi. For all practical purposes, it was the first RUF conference. And Jimmy said, we're going to go to the Mississippi Delta. I thought we were going to go to New Orleans. And he said, we're going to go to the Mississippi Delta, and Al Martin is going to be preaching on the Christian family. That's where I met Pam and Wilson Benton for the first time, Paige's mom and dad. I met Ford and Martha, who were sitting on the very back, back in the back. And, um, and, and, and Al Martin spoke on the Christian family, and I got in the car to come home, and I said to myself, whatever that is about, that's what I want. And I came home, and I said, Lord, if you'll ever let me marry, if you'll ever let me have a wife and have a children and a family, I want this to be what that family's about. And the gospel changed everything for me. The Lord would give me Sally. The Lord would give me Hallie, Evan, and Clark. And the Lord would give me a family. There's a fabulous quote that Dr. Keller gives in his book, The Mystery of Marriage. And it says this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Dear friends, closing comment. God has given us this order of the husband as the head of the home 
as the, the wife as the heart of the home because in his wisdom he wants us to be fully known and fully loved by one another because as we are it's a lot it's a lot like being loved by God where we are fully known and fully and fully loved the world says it's archaic I say to you it's one of the greatest gifts that we'll ever receive on planet earth let's pray Father, thank you for your word and, Lord, for your wisdom. Your wisdom often is not our way, but we want it to be your way, excuse me, our way. And oftentimes, Father, your word is not upon our lips, but, Father, as we, the more we read your word, the more we just want to repeat your words to others. So, Father... Enable us and help us to do so. In your son's name we pray, amen.